You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. Today is World Mission Sunday, which means that our our readings were a little bit different. So I'm going to read to you the passage that I'm preaching from, which wasn't one that was actually read this morning. So it's from Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 17. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This text, obviously, we're jumping here into Romans after spending some time in 1 Corinthians going through um, several sermons in the book of 1 Corinthians. So before I dive into talking about this text, I want to set the context of Romans for you a little bit, um, at least in part as to how I see what's going on in Romans. And I, I think that it matters for how we look at and interpret this particular text and how we understand this idea of being sent and how we understand the idea of mission. A big part of what's going on in Romans is Paul trying to answer the question, is God faithful? It reminds me a bit of the story of the boy who cried wolf, um, which I'm sure that most of you are familiar with, but I'm going to tell the story just the same. So for the kids in here, this is a time where I get to tell you a story. There was a boy who lived out on a hillside. He was a shepherd who lived on a hillside near a small town, and He was up there day after day after day, and he watched all the activity in the town that was down below him, and he wondered what it was like to live in the town day after day, because he always was sent off all alone to tend his sheep. He had his dog with him, and he was a good companion, but never any other people, and he got lonely and bored. There's only so many times you can play the same handful of tunes on the pipes and still find it interesting before you just want something new. And so he looked down and he, he thought, what, how can I have some excitement in my day? One day, he saw a shadow in the woods nearby, and he thought that it might be a wolf. And he was about to cry out, but then he realized it was just the, the sun moving across a branch, and it caused a, a weird shadow. But it put this idea in his head that if he were to call for help, That would be exciting. Then the townspeople would come. Then he would not be alone. And he knew that he shouldn't do it. But the idea stuck in his head, and he couldn't get it out. And one day he decided to try. Wolf, wolf, he cried out. And the townspeople did. They came running. They dropped what they were doing. 
They came with pitchforks and hose and whatever they had on hand. One person even brought a musket with him. And it was the most exciting day he had had tending sheep in a long time. And he told them it was a mistake, that, that perhaps the wolf had gotten away, and they left and went away. A few weeks later, he decided again he was bored and lonely, and he would cry out again. So he did, wolf, wolf, he cried. And the townspeople came running again. Only this time he couldn't refrain from a little bit of laughter at their gullibility, that they had fallen for it again. And his lies didn't sound so convincing this time that it was an accident, a mistake. And they knew that he had actually tricked them to coming out. So, of course, you know what happens next. A few weeks later, a wolf did come. And he cried out, wolf, wolf! And no one came. No one believed him. Because he had cried out falsely before, they did not believe him when he really had a problem. And the wolf slaughtered his sheep. And the boy wept. Paul's letter to the Romans is a magisterial work of theology. Few works penned by any man or woman have had a greater impact on the world. And as I said before, one of the questions running through the entire book of Romans is, is God trustworthy? Or is he like the boy who cried wolf? The problem is in the relationship of Israel to the Torah, the law that is given, the books of the Old Testament that we have that revealed what, how God related to his people. Paul, like Peter in his defense before the council of elders in Jerusalem, has been proclaiming that Jesus is the stone that was rejected and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. But the question becomes, what does this mean then for the law of Moses? Did God cry salvation to the people of Israel only to laugh when they came running? Of course not. Paul's answer is, of course not. Such deceit is not within the character of God. I can't cover all of Paul's argument in Romans this morning, but his point is summed up in chapter 10, verse 4, right before the reading that I, I read today. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now, the word end here in Greek is the word telos. And just like our word for end, it can have two meanings. It can mean the cessation of something. It's the end of the song, and it's done, and it's played. It can also mean the purpose of something. It's a little bit archaic. We don't usually use it that way very often anymore. But I could ask for someone who is going on a pilgrimage, someone who's going on a journey, what is the end you have in mind? What's your goal? What's your purpose that you have for setting out upon this journey? I don't mean where are they going to end up. I mean, what are their hopes? What's their intent? What are they hoping is going to come out of it? And Paul's point is that the law of Moses, the Torah that is given to the people of Israel, has always been pointing to the Messiah as its fulfillment. 
So what God has done in Jesus is not a sudden change in direction. It's not pulling the carpet out from under the people of Israel. It's not crying out salvation and then showing them that actually that was never a real offer on hand. Instead, Jesus is the revealing of God's eternal purpose from the very beginning. In Jesus, we see what God always intended. A change in direction doesn't always mean that you didn't have the end in mind. Think about it here. If you've been here and participated in worship with us for some time, you know that we have liturgical seasons. In just a couple of weeks, we'll be entering into the season of Lent, which is a penitential season where we engage in fasting. We engage in thinking through the the sin that we have done and God's salvation and how he has come to save us. And at the end of that season of Lent, we'll enter into Holy Week where we tell the story of Jesus And on Easter, we will celebrate the resurrection. Does the resurrection, does our celebration of Easter somehow undo all that we did during Lent? Of course not. The reason we enter into Lent is because of Easter, because we are looking forward to what the end is. It's the reason why we can celebrate even as we grieve our sin. Because we are aware of our sin, but we also know that God has saved us from it. This is the same thing that Paul is talking about in Jesus. The law makes sense because Jesus was coming. Because the Messiah was coming. And it's only when you see Jesus and understand what God has done in him that you can look back and properly interpret everything that came before it. Which is why here, right before our reading began, in verses 6 through 8, Paul starts quoting certain passages out of the Torah, certain passages out of the Old Testament. The passage that he specifically quotes is from Deuteronomy. He says, Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, or who will descend into the abyss? But the word is near you, in your mouth and heart. This comes from Deuteronomy chapter 30, and the context of this chapter in Deuteronomy, this Old Testament passage, is it comes right after God has given the law to the people, and he has, along with the law, given them a whole host of blessings and curses that they can expect. Blessings if they keep the law, and honestly, a much longer list of curses if they fail to keep the law. And then in that Old Testament passage, something curious happens. God says, when these things come upon you, the blessings and the curse, when these things come upon you, when you fail to keep the law that I have given to you, not if at some point maybe you falter, I'm listing this before you, and and at the culmination of those curses is exile, and he says, when you have fallen, when you have been sent out into exile, remember this. Remember and come back to me. Return and obey. For this commandment that I command you today is not too hard for you. Neither is it far off. The word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. What Paul is pointing out here is that even in the way that the law itself is structured, if you have some sense that the way that the law is going to be fulfilled is by keeping it, 
by works of righteousness, God says, right as he's giving it to them, you're not going to. And so salvation has always been through faith, through trusting in God and what he has done. And Paul says, now it has been revealed to us that the word which was so near, the word that is near to you, is the word of faith that he proclaims. It's the gospel that if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is in Jesus that all those who have gone astray are gathered once again. Whether those who have gone astray because they knew the law and could not keep it or those who have gone astray because they never really knew the law, all of them together alike are gathered under the name of Jesus. It is in Jesus that all Israel can find the forgiveness of sins. This has always been God's one and only plan. This is what got what Paul is at pains to show throughout the entire book of Romans, that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's plan. And therefore, God has been faithful. He has kept his promises because he has sent his one and only son to be the fulfillment of the law, to be righteous where we could not be. And through that, he offers the forgiveness of sins in this one way, and it has always been through this one way, in Jesus, and in Jesus alone, can we find salvation. In Jesus, and Jesus alone, can we find the forgiveness of sin. Those who were saved by Torah before the birth of Jesus, those who were saved according to the law, were those who had faith in God's purposes, who anticipated the work that he would do, and now we see its fulfillment in Jesus. Paul makes his point even more strongly in verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. He's not here saying that there's a two-step process, that in one step you're justified by belief, and then if your mouth you're confessing, this is how you're saved. Um, what he's saying is probably a repetition of the same thing, but he's pointing it in two ways. That justification and salvation come together. And really the word in the Greek is not, not quite is justified. That sounds like a verb. It's, it's this word for righteousness. Through the heart you believe and, and then you have righteousness. With the mouth you confess and there, then you have salvation. And, and what this is, is justification is the legal term. For when uh, a debt that you have is declared null and void. It's gone. And so you can almost picture somebody in a debtor's prison. They've been thrown into the prison, and there's the moment where the judge declares the debt is gone. It's been wiped clean. And then, of course, necessarily following that is the moment where they actually walk out of prison, where they are actually freed, where they have salvation. Paul says these two things go together. When you believe in Jesus, this is how, through faith, your debts are wiped clean. Your sins are forgiven. And if you believe in him, you will necessarily confess that he is Lord. And when you confess that he is Lord, you will find salvation. And of course, central to what Paul is saying 
is that the process is the same for everyone. Verse 12 says, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This language of there is no distinction actually recalls back to the beginning of Romans, back at Romans 3, verse 22, where it says, There is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have fallen into bondage without fail. All have fallen into sin without fail. And again, there is one way out. That one way out is in Jesus. Why am I emphasizing this so much if we're talking about World Mission Sunday? Doesn't the portion of here that it talks about, Paul gets on to talking about taking the message out, this seems like the part that is more relevant to World Mission Sunday, right? Except that it's not, really. This is actually central and critical in our day and age, especially for us to be able to hold on to and believe this if we are going to have any sort of mission and carrying forth the gospel. Because in our day and age, once again, Jesus is a stumbling block to many. And in particular, it is Jesus as the only way to God is a stumbling block for many. I have family, you probably do too, who have walked away from the faith, who have walked away from Christianity, largely over this issue. They are fine with believing that Jesus is a way to God. They're kind of fine if Jesus is something that's good for you and good for some other people, but they stumble over the fact that Jesus is the way, that Jesus is the only way to God. But here, Paul desperately wants all of Israel to be saved. In chapter 10, verse 1, he lays it out in, in plainly. He says, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. He says it elsewhere. He says elsewhere that I would give up my own salvation if it meant that all of my brothers and sisters in Israel would be saved. He desperately wants the people of Israel to be saved, but he is not willing to compromise the gospel to try to convince himself that that's going to happen through some other way than Jesus. He's not willing to give up saying Jesus is the fulfillment of everything, the fulfillment of the law. It would be so easy, and I think so many of us fall into the trap of convincing ourselves because we don't want to have the pain and the suffering of saying that those whom we love are outside of God's grace. And we convince ourselves that, well, maybe there is another way. Maybe if they don't believe, if they don't accept Jesus, God will still have mercy upon them. Paul has every reason to say that, given his growing up in the Jewish tradition. He has every reason to, to point and say, well, God, through Torah, if they'd have just, if they just keep believing in Torah, then maybe they'll still, they'll still have, you know, they'll, they'll come to grace through Jesus anyway, even if they just believe in Torah. But instead he says, no, if you confess, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you confess with your mouth that he is Lord. Then you'll be saved. Brothers and sisters, we cannot compromise the gospel to make ourselves feel better about those whom we love. 
who have not yet come to Jesus. We cannot compromise the faith of Jesus as the only way to God to convince ourselves that it's going to be okay if we don't carry this message forth. This is the heart of what Paul is saying. He says, how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? If they have to call on Jesus as Lord, how are they going to call on him? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? What drives mission for our church, what drives missions for us as a people is this belief that we have the good news given to us and that it is that salvation comes through Jesus. If we falter in that belief, then we will falter in our desire to carry forth the word, to carry forth the good news. It is this belief that is why our church has a commitment to supporting missions work across the globe. When Dr. Shelley Oliver performs surgery that restores a child to a relationship with his or her family and community, she also has a chance to tell that child about the one whose healing runs even deeper. To tell their family that the reason that she is here, caring for them, is because she has met the one who brings healing, and she knows him. When Tim and Caroline Bailey support a family through the process of adoption in Romania, they have a chance to share about adoption into God's family that is available to all in Christ. They actually sell t-shirts on their website, and some of them say, my favorite book says we're all adopted. It's a reminder that the gospel, the good news is found in Jesus, that through him we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. When our brothers and sisters in the Hanukkah parish in Rwanda gather to worship or provide material support to the community, because that's a big part of what the church in Rwanda does, they provide practical needs and support to those in their community. But they do so in the name of Jesus, in whom all are saved. They do not shy away from this proclamation and say that there's some other way to salvation. They do it because they know that there is one name under heaven and earth by which all are saved. And of course, these missionaries that we support have a special calling to share the gospel. But they are not alone. The church has never believed or held that the commission to go and make disciples is only for a select few. It's not just for those who have that special sending. It's for you and for me. Sharing the gospel can seem frightening because none of us really likes being rejected. And Paul makes it clear in verse 16 that we will be rejected if we share the gospel. He says, They have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? His point is that the gospel has been proclaimed and there are those who have yet rejected it. So we must expect that if we go out and carry the news. But if Jesus is the only way, if we have found a way to be in relationship with God, the only way, to be in relationship with God, 
how can we keep that to ourselves? How can we love our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors and our mothers and our fathers if we don't tell them about Jesus? And I don't say this to make you feel guilty because that's a really lousy motivator for missions. It doesn't work very well. And I know that many of us feel that we should do better at sharing the gospel. And, and for many people, there can be a weight of guilt over not doing it enough. If you struggle to share this with others, the place that I encourage you to begin is by meditating and focusing on what you have in Christ. If you received a, a glorious prize, a glorious inheritance. Do not be excited to tell those whom you love about it. You've received the most wonderful inheritance. And to make it even better, unlike like winning the lottery where probably you should keep it kind of secret for a while so people don't just come and mooch off you, you can give it away and you still get to keep it. So ask God to grow in you the thanksgiving for that gift. Ask him to grow in you a love for others. And I think that out of that, sharing the gospel will come more naturally as we receive a greater sense of what God has done for us. And much of that comes through the gift of his spirit that he has given. And we've been talking about the work of the spirit throughout these last few weeks of Epiphany. And it is in the spirit that we find God working in us and we, in the spirit that we find God sending us out. Our gospel reading from John this morning, the, the disciples were gathered together in the room. And Jesus comes and he breathes upon them and says, I'm sending you as I was sent. John is looking forward to that day when they will receive the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And that they will see through those signs of power and what God has done in them that they are those who are sent out. And that that is where our mission comes from from our great love for Christ and what he has done for us, and the Holy Spirit giving us power to carry this forth into the world. You are not alone when you go out. If you go out and try to carry out the gospel in your own power, it will be an utter failure. You'll feel discouraged. You're not really likely to bring anyone to actually believe in Jesus. Maybe occasionally you can talk someone into it. But one of the things that I came across really young... Um, I got into a lot of debates when I was in high school because I went to a magnet, academic magnet high school, so we debated all sorts of things. And I, I, at some point I came to realize I could be pretty good at debate, but there would always be someone who was better that would follow up after me. And if I can get you to change your mind just by convincing you of something, then someone else can get you to change your mind by convincing you later. What we're out to do is not just convince people by changing their mind. We're out to give people the gift of the Spirit and change their heart. That God works through us to send His Spirit out to others. This is the gift that God has given us. We have been given His Spirit, and so we can go forward and carry that out into the world. And if we proclaim the good news in the power of the Holy Spirit working among us, then we will see people come to Jesus. We will see lives that are changed. We will see people that find healing. 
You are not meant or able to carry the gospel into the world on your own. But you can do so in the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is and always has been the only way to salvation. So if you have confessed with your lips that Jesus is Lord and believed in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Rejoice and share the good news. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.